The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review the final game of the year for Austin FC. We will discuss Austin FC 2's victory in the MLS Next Cup final. And we'll also be joined by Adrian Healy and Michael Ahood to answer listener questions and uh, maybe opine about the, the offseason and maybe make a few predictions ourselves. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I cannot be more excited to be joined by these two gentlemen who are both, I don't it, it look like in different places when they normally are, <laughs> um, but thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you, Adrian and Michael, for, for coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. Hey, guys, always, always a treat to come on. Me and Michael uh, have always loved what you've done right from day one, right from before day one, before there was even an Austin. I was uh, I was tuning yeah. in. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's great to be able to come on with another season in the bag. So we've got Adrian Healy, of course, former play-by-play for Austin FC, current Apple TV, uh, or MLS on Apple TV commentator. And then Michael... You are now uh, officially CBS talent. Is that correct? I'm in the mixer. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm knee deep in the mixer. Um, announcement coming soon. Can't say more than that. But okay. knee, deep, knee deep in the mixer. Well, I, I don't think it's much of a secret because I've seen yeah. you on CBS <laughs> on TV. <laughs> <laughs> no, no secret here. <laughs> no, yeah. No, working with CBS and uh, still got my uh, heart full of Verde somewhere in there. Well, that's what that's one thing we I wanted to touch on that we talked about briefly before. It's like I, you guys are broadcast partners, but I feel like you didn't spend a ton of time together in Austin, right? I mean, this club's only started playing a couple of years ago, but it seems like y'all formed a relationship that's a little bit deeper than just like two guys in a booth. Like, how did that happen? And do y'all, each of you, want to share on that a little bit, sort of as we maybe get through this chapter of of, of Austin FC? Sure, I'll, I'll I'll go in first. Very, very, very special friendship I feel like I have with Mr. L, as as we like to call ourselves, Mr. L and Mr. H. Um, very, very special. Um, you know, you meet, you get to work with a lot of different people in this business, and and you know, it's always, nearly always, nearly always very professional. You can do what you you do on the air, but it's not necessarily, you know, a firm friendship off the air. But I feel like that's what we had right from right from day one. And it was really, really special. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's one of those things you can't really explain. We just clicked, didn't we, Michael, even though you're a Man United fan, prepared to overlook (laughs) You know, um, no, it's just been, it's been fantastic. And for me being new in Austin, Michael was already here, albeit in San Antonio. It was just, everything about it just, just was perfect. Right. Right from day one. And, uh, We'll be firm friends for, for forever, for sure, and we'll always look back on these two years with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with glowing sort of memories. I'm sure. Yeah, I I remember going through the interview process, and prior to wanting to work with Austin FC, I remember talking with my wife, and she'd asked me a question. It's actually the first time sharing this, but she'd asked me a question of if you could dream the biggest dream, who is the one broadcaster? you'd want to work with. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's easy. Adrian Healy. And she was like, well, that's funny. He's the guy that you'd be working with if you get this job. So that was, that seemed like eons ago. That seemed like in my wildest dreams and then getting the phone call from Adrian, even before finding out getting the job, but getting the phone call from Adrian, 
there's a lot that you see on TV. There's a lot that you see and you have a perception of someone, but I was struck by the humanity of just easy to talk to and someone that you look up to, but I'll never forget. You said this to me, Adrian, I've worked with a lot of people, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm looking for a friend, not just a coworker. And that was like, Oh my gosh, me too. I didn't know you could have a friend in the booth. And we kind of clicked on from there. (laughs) Yeah. Our wives became friends. Even our dogs yeah. became friends. I mean, it's really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's funny. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but it's it's very noticeable when you guys got to call a game together. Sadly, we didn't get to get to hear that this year. But uh, you guys are still both doing great work uh, in your in your own respects. Uh, we want to get you guys to help us out answering some listener questions here in a little bit. First, I think we should go through the San Jose game, this last game of Austin's 2023 season um not a lot to talk about with this one a because the stakes were nothing pretty much uh but b not a lot happened also so we can spend a little bit of time on this and then we'll get onto those listener questions and let that be kind of the the main meat of the show but um yeah let's dive into this game real quick so san jose versus austin one one draw uh ended up with the first half not many shots at all and then more in the second half, mostly by way of San Jose, but um, still not a ton of dangerous chances. And the ones that were, I mean, I guess Brad Stuver had a, had a big game in stopping a few of the dangerous chances that that San Jose did have. But Adrian, you were on the call for this one. What was your what was your take on this game? Yeah, I, I just came away feeling sort of that it was an odd game in, in so many ways because it was, it, yeah. There was a lot on the line for San Jose. There wasn't really much on the line for for, for us for Austin, but but at the same time there there was because it was a last chance to leave a a good impression and chance to win against them for the first time. And I thought the first half was was decent. I thought Austin held their own in the first half, and probably that that scoreline was 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 a fair one heading in at half time. Um, great goal from from Owen Wolf. We we kind of. Gave them the goal, didn't we? With a patented uh, giving the ball away out of the back move, um, which, which Espinosa <laughs> was the, the grateful recipient of. Um, and then at 1 1, it was like, well, all right, what's going to happen in the second half? Are the gloves going to come off. Well, San Jose took the gloves off, and, and we kind of didn't, which was, which was weird. Um, it almost felt like we were bunkering in right from the start, the second half, trying to, trying to cling on to this point, which I'm not sure. Uh, what the point of that was, but but anyway, that's that that was the approach of Austin and San Jose yeah. took c- c- complete control, and and you know the Abobasi shot off the post was as close as it came. Stuver was busy and big, and and in the end, we did get that point and that draw. But uh, and San Jose got what they needed too. So it was just I just came away feeling odd about the about the whole game. Yeah, from, <laughs> from like an academic perspective, I think you can look at a game like one more opportunity where. Austin did struggle to get any results on the road. Let it like not even talking about wins. Like we couldn't even get draws on the road a lot of times. So like from an academic perspective, you look at it and say like, okay, here's an opportunity to like work on like getting a gritty draw on the road. But emotionally, it feels like a weird thing to do on the last game of the season where the game doesn't actually matter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask Michael if he if he if he yeah. sensed that oddness <laughs> watching from afar. Yeah, I, I I did. It's we were previewing the match and decision day was a ton of fun and it's funny. It, 
they were like, which match do you want to watch? And the guy in the control room turns on the, the TV and it's Adrian and Kobe Jones there. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think the guy, the, the one with Healy on there, to keep it there. <laughs> Don't put any. Uh, so it was fun to just watch. And then you start remembering all the chaotic games against San Jose. And yeah. that's the one opponent where there will be chaos. You're guaranteed chaos. And this was the one match where the chaos on the turnover, okay, that's San Jose. It's kind of what we've done playing against San Jose, turning the ball over in bad spots. But when the Owen Wolf goal went in, it was like, wait a second, this is different. And for Nick Lima, former San Jose player, to get that cross, I know Nick Lima's had an up-and-down season. I, I really, there's a sentimental experience for him knowing that there's a lot of uncertainty about what this year or what this offseason could hold for him. A lot of players that have been here from year one and are now in year three. What does year four hold for them? Alex Ring getting the nod. A lot of question marks I walked away from more than answers mm. in this. Good to see the team get a point, but more question marks for me. Biggest one, where in the world is Danny Pereira? <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's, oh, let's, let's why now? <laughs> you know? let, let's get into that. Let's get into that. So the the starting lineup comes up, and it's I think it's is it the exact lineup we've seen the last two games or pretty close to it, if not yeah. exactly the same? But you see um Cascante and Vison as the center backs, Lima and Gallagher, who had switched back to their so they flip, but tra- guys, traditional yeah. spots, which I'm I'm guessing that must have been like a matchup thing. I'm not sure why they switched in the, in the last game, but uh and then you have Ring and Valencia playing the two deeper lying mids. You had Drewsy and Wolf playing the two attacking mids. And then in the attacking shape, you had Gallagher pushing up as kind of the wide left winger. You had Finley as the right winger. Uh, and then Lima was kind of staying back and playing is kind of like that flex center back slash attacking fullback whenever he saw an opportunity to go forward. And then Ragoni was playing as the striker and dropping in between lines occasionally, but he was nominally the number nine there. Uh, but yeah, n- no Danny Pereira. I, I, yeah, I think there was like a lot of things to speculate about. I think Wolf said as much after the last one of the last games where, where this happened. It was just like, um, that like it's a better defensive midfield without Danny in there. He didn't say it exactly that way, but I for one agree with him. I think it's a weird, it's such a, a tough decision to make though, because Danny's so special with the things that he's good at. And then the things that he's not good at are like real problems for this team. And so it's like, it's hard to leave him on off of the field, but at the same time, when it's a team who struggles so much in defensive transition ring and Valencia are so much better in those moments than, than it is. So it's, it's a really tough thing. And like, it got me thinking like, is what is this? Cause we don't know what, what Danny's contract situation looks like. Right. So like, is Danny on the way out? Are they trying to sell him what the deal is? But Jeremiah, like coach Wolf's comments after the game, kind of, he, he, he kind of settled that he, he didn't really like, the way that he phrased it made it seem like, no, this was just a personnel choice for the game, but like it didn't, he didn't make it sound like this meant anything for the future. He, right. Cause he said, he said he's a tremendous player and he's got, he's three years into it. He's a tremendous player. He's got a lot. He's going to continue to mature. He's got to continue to find a ways to use his voice, his performance as well. So it seems like it was just in his take, like a mat, um, like a matchup issue and, and what Austin needed, which maybe to Adrian's point seems like weird in a game where, 
like you don't really need to be defensive like who cares you know yeah. <laughs> like the result out of it you know but uh but yeah i mean i don't know if he's just trying to send a long-term message and that's what he's doing and i would be super interested like and michael's take as a former player how you respond to that and then also what you think about that adrian Oof, man if i'm danny Pereira, i'm i mean i have hair but i, I probably wouldn't have hair after that decision because I wanted to pull my dreadlocks out and I've got a lot of them. I don't understand that. I don't. Typically what happens at the end of a season is you want to take a look in the last couple games of a season. You want to take a look at who's staying, who's going by the last game of the season. You want to start thinking about next year and you want to start putting players and pieces out there that represent what is going to be an audition for next year. If Danny Pereira, which he should be, I hope he is. He should definitely be it if he's Josh, if you're Josh Wolf. Danny Pereira, looking at that matchup versus San Jose, Danny Pereira has played well against San Jose. You go back to last season in that 2-2 draw, Danny P was the one who drew the penalty on the second goal. So the matchup question is, if you don't like him as a defensive midfielder, thank God he's not a defensive midfielder. He's a number eight for crying out loud. And Adrian and I, we've had this conversation Gosh, we we almost wanted to get some local whiskey to just ice our brains about it. Yeah, but he is a number eight. He's not a six. So, but yeah. in in this shape, in this midfield, and maybe maybe this is a different argument that you don't play this shape. But when you have this this like midfield shape where you have two deeper lying players and two more attacking midfield players, do you play him as one of the two deeper guys? And let Valencia Ring or whoever it is sit deeper than him. Like, where where do you put him in that shape? I'd, I'd, I'd be keen to hear Adrian's point before I get mine. Yeah, well, you know, the again, I'm going to use the word odd. Everything about this is odd to me. Uh, the night was odd. The the, the the recent treatment of Danny Pereira is odd. But it continues on from a theme of two years of oddness. Because to Michael's point, we've been told till they were blue in the face by the brains trust and the coaching staff that yes Danny Pereira is a number six he's a number six we were told that for two years and and <laughs> each time we were told it the two of us looked at each other with puzzlement saying well yeah he can play there but is that the best use of his skill set not remotely and to Michael's point we've always thought from day one he was a number eight he was a box-to-box midfielder but it seemed, it seemed like he was being asked to play number six so that others could play further forward at times uh, in previous seasons and, and and maybe even into this season. And now, finally, he's discovered that Johan Valencia is actually a really, really serviceable defensive midfielder. That took a time uh, for that to happen, about a year and a half. But, but, uh, but, but um, I guess I guess your question is a valid one, because if you are going to play two out-and-out out defensive midfielders, then maybe Danny isn't one of those. So then then where where else does he go? Now, and and I don't can... think I don't think he can play one of the further forward ones either, because I I don't think he's got the like the creative ability in that final third, like like you would want to have in one of those positions. And so he's one of those mm-hmm. he's I I've I've said this for a long time now that he's the he's the new Darlington Nagby. He's so good at a few like really specific things, but you have to have the right pieces around him. And Nagby has that and Aiden Morris next to him in Columbus right now. And that mm. pair is really good. And I think like that's what Danny needs is just like the right person next to him. And maybe maybe Valencia Ring is is that guy. And if you use him the right way, but I just don't I don't know what the right answer with him is. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you bring that up because the question becomes really Danny Pereira is still a number eight. The question is. 
what is Alex Ring? He's a defensive yeah. midfielder. He's not a box-to-box midfielder. That is where the conundrum, that is where the misplacement of positions happens. The, the, the battle of sixes is between Alex Ring and Johan Valencia. That is your one-two. Whoever wins that battle is your six. And then your number eight, well, let's roll the dice. Alex Trebek, options, please. <laughs> it's between Danny Pereira and Owen Wolf for that number eight position. But and therein like, lies a big competition battle. And it, but yeah. in this in this formation, there's not really an eight. And so, like, right. I maybe maybe that begs the question: like, should we even be playing the shape then? But I don't. Yeah, I don't well, know. It it's a, com- it, it's complicated. Yeah. You're opening up much, much bigger questions here, Ryan, which we probably don't have time to go into. But but for me, it's simple. Your best two players on this entire squad by a country mile, it's not even close, are Sebastian Drusi and Danny Pereira. Yeah. You have to play those players in their best positions. Surely, surely, whatever formation you want to call it, getting the best out of those two players is, is your primary responsibility. I don't think we got the best out of either of them of late. Yeah, I, I don't think that's that is not a hard point to argue from what we saw this year out of him. Like, and Teresa even um, talked about that. I, I have one more thing, like, because Michael, you touched on it, and then we can get into um, maybe we can like get into the questions part. But uh, uh, like w- last week, somebody mentioned that the team didn't have a lot to play for, and Ethan Finley said, "Well, look, there's a lot of us playing for a contract, and that means a lot coming into the last match." Um, and I assume your experience as a player that that you believe that. So. Do you, did either or any of the three of you see? Did anybody actually make a case for themselves with how they played against San Jose to like get that, get that additional like time or extend their contract or like was it just more of the same? It's overall when you when you look at the numbers, and Adrian, you were there. You got the feeling of it. You can speak probably more to it. But from the outside looking in, in the in the final game of the season, I'm looking for character stuff. If you get a goal, which Owen Wolf does, Nick Lima a player who is playing for a spot on this team. And just because you may not be playing for a contract, your job is still on the line. You don't know what's happening in the trade window. You don't know what's happening with just coaches' conversations. You could be on the block, irregardless of if you have a contract and you think, okay, I'll be in Austin next year. You could be on the next flight out of Austin before you know it. But when I look at those things, it is really hard just watching how that game unfolded. The fact that the, the team didn't give up, you go down a goal, you get one back, that's a positive, but it was harder to see any one person that's not already in the fold and will be there next year. I didn't really get a sense of like, you know what, that's a guy that they should go all in and say, let's get him, let's bring him in. He's a character guy, he's a culture guy. Speaking of those things though, Ethan Finley as a human being, as a uh, uh, and Adrian, you and I have had him on Verde Lights in the studio. Just an impressive person who knows the game of soccer, who knows Major League Soccer. And I think he has more to give beyond just what he does on the field. I, I think that is someone who I would put my name in the hat for, for keeping around in terms of building a culture moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with as far as I don't think uh this weekend was finley's best performance and if no. if that was his audition for for getting a new contract i don't think it was a good one but his body of work throughout the season as far as just like being a leader being a warrior on the field you're absolutely right he's he's shown that game in and game out yeah yeah I, and i think for the money he's on and and being out of contract of all the players that are out of contract or we have options on 
I imagine the phone will be ringing the most about him because he's a relative bargain, and for all the qualities that Michael so eloquently described, he's he's about he doesn't he doesn't expect to start even, but he will give you a hundred percent whenever you get him, give him a chance. Yeah, he didn't have a great game on Saturday night, but it shouldn't it shouldn't boil down to that. But if we don't bring him back under a, a different deal, I'm sure there'll be other teams that do in the league. Yeah, uh, we're going to get more into player movement in the second segment. So let's run through just some of the highlights of the San Jose game first. So the first goal comes in the 17th minute. Um, <laughs> I'm just noticing that this is assisted by Jeremy Abovesi, which I think is uh, <laughs> generous, but also like correct in a different sense. But this one comes from Austin playing out of the back. Cascante plays Valencia between lines and it kind of seemed like the pass was a touch wide and also Valencia mm, like misread it and didn't quite notice that it was a touch wide and just didn't really act with enough urgency to get to it. Uh, the ball falls into loose space. He tries to get to it. Obobese does a good job of kind of challenging for that ball and then just like gets a foot on it. And so it's not an intentional pass, but it's just like he fights Valencia off and just touches it into space falls to Espinosa and uh, just smashes it into that far, that, that bottom right corner. Uh, really, really good finish, but that's, that's the kind of thing that like you've come to expect from, from Christian Espinosa. Yes. And it, and it ended a yeah kind of run of games without a goal for him. He's been, he's been setting up others, but it, it again, self-inflicted wound almost, almost at times this year, we've, we've, we've made the contrast to, to season one and 2021. That felt like a 2021 moment, didn't it? It was just, I mean, I, I don't know, Michael, for me looking on, that was Julio Cascante's fault. He played the ball. Yeah. A little too hard, a little too inaccurately for, for Valencia to be able to bring it in completely under control. And Valencia already had it, but see, on his shoulder, don't don't play him that ball. Yeah, yeah. But he did, and, and the rest unfolded. Uh, Austin gets the equalizer in the 32nd minute. This one comes in. Uh, this is a pattern of play that I thought, um, going back to kind of the shape and having those two players in the midfield, I think Austin seemed to be kind of doing, we were talking off air about watching European teams and I mentioned Brighton but this kind of like shape and pattern that Brighton has been really good at the last couple of seasons is they'll split their center backs wide and have two central midfielders really close to each other and Ring and Valencia were kind of playing those those spots and several th there's pattern where they would play it in and like have some quick combination out of pressure and then be able to play forward or kind of switch play and play it on the other side and this this goal comes from a moment like that where there's com some combination in the middle. They find Drewsi on the right side. He drives, finds Lima wide, and there's several players moving various directions in the box. It wasn't like a, a mag. It was a decent cross into a decent area, but it wasn't like a super dangerous moment. But it finds Owen Wolf's head, and it. This is one of those goals where it's like, is this like a fortunate goal? Sure, but also. I 100% believe that it's what Owen Wolf was trying to do in the moment. Just like he saw a ball coming towards his head and he's like, okay, I'm going to flick it towards goal and see what happens. And it ends up just long looping header right inside the far post there. Oh yeah. He, he knew exactly what he was doing with that header. I mean, it's, yeah, it's funny because the, the, the cross Michael uh, from Nick Lima had, had, you know, it had the pace on that allowed Wolf to do that. I mean, it, it, you know, that's a different sort of cross. He can't produce that header, but he let the ball do the work. He still had to guide it perfectly, but he 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 knew exactly what he was doing there. It was it was superbly executed. 
watching that header, I, I had to kind of rub my eyes because I was like, Josh Wolf 2.0, that's a goal that Josh Wolf would be proud of. Talk about the genes from father to son being passed down. Makes you think, should Owen be played and allowed to get further forward and not be really part of the buildup? Because watching him for the U-20s, he was in the box quite a bit, and he had a, a, a very good U-20 World Cup because he was forced to stay higher up the field and allow other players to do the buildup. I think he's a player that you allow him to press, but to see that aspect of his game, that he can head the ball, that he has the awareness to get that sort of contact on it, I want to see more of that from Owen Wolf. That that was a really good goal and one of the better goals you saw on decision day. Uh, Jeremiah, what other points did you want to hit as far as this game goes? So on this one, I managed to stay awake through the rest of it, which I was really proud of myself <laughs> on. Um, Not many did, Jeremiah. Not many. <laughs> yeah, no, I was struggling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we talked about Stuber. We talked about San Jose, like, being on the front foot most of the most of the night and also like being a little bit confused about why Austin wasn't more aggressive um on that. And then I guess I just uh this post-game comments from Josh Wolf, which a lot of people reacted to online about what to play for, um, which said, you know, it's always challenging to come to San Jose. You know, they're obviously playing for their playoffs lives and we have nothing to play for. Like, do you guys love that attitude? Like I I did not. I mean, I'm a I played a I am obviously not at the level of athlete of some of the people here. I played on a lot of really bad sports teams, but I, you know, I like to believe that we were going to win, you know, no matter what going into a match or like we had something to play for. So I was a little taken aback by that too. Yeah. To me, those, those post-game comments just kind of, it was almost like someone didn't tell them we weren't, this wasn't June and it wasn't in the middle of the season. (laughs) Those comments would be fine. Yeah. Great point on the road. No problem. But Final game of the season? <laughs> what are we trying to lock down? 12th place? Is that what the point secures? I mean, it's yeah, it just it, it was mind-boggling. Uh, my favorite moment, uh, actually, in the second half was right at the end when it was 1-1. It was obvious at that point San Jose were going to qualify because Portland were losing 3-1 at home. There was no way for them back. I think it was already in stoppage time. And San Jose get a corner deep in stoppage time. And Danielle, they keep on wants to come up. He comes charging, <laughs> comes charging out of his goal, gets to halfway line. And Lucha Gonzalez waves him back, saying, no, 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 get back. We don't, we don't need another goal. We're fine. He thought they still needed a win. So uh, so that that was that was that was uh, the moment of mo- moment of comic relief for me in that second half. But I, yeah, I saw I that and I was <laughs> I was thinking like it would be worth Lucci taking a, a card on that to just like <laughs> yeah. run out onto the field and like stop him and push him back and send him the oh, other way. Oh <laughs> man, that's priceless. No, I I wrestled with that a lot. And I think it's one of those moments that looking back, and sometimes you say as a coach or a player, you say things in the heat of the moment, and it's the buildup of frustration, the buildup of of just a season that hasn't gone your way, but that's a moment right there that is a sum of mistakes that are summarized in a moment that I think Josh Wolf will want back because people want something to look forward to. He's going to be the coach next year and there's differentiating feelings on that, but he's the guy and you want to leave your fans. You want to leave your locker room with something to look forward to. Whether you think that or not, that is a private conversation with your players or with your staff at best. That is not a public conversation. I've never heard a coach say that in the last game of the season, whether it be the very last place team. You didn't hear Colorado's coach say that. (laughs) Hmm. So it worries me a bit of 
you still have a job to do. Are you already thinking this is a foregone conclusion of the season's done? Or do you still want to see this out in 2023 before you move on to 2024? That tells me that his mind's already on 2024. And this game is just, hey, let's blow the whistle and let's get out of here, get on the plane so we can start the process for 2024. But I never like to see that from a manager. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake on his part and something he'll want back. Well, and, and I'll give you guys, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I'll give you guys the other side of that for 2021, which was obviously like a terrible season. But like that, I believe the last match was where we saw John Gallagher. Yes. That was his first performance yeah. at fullback. And like, <laughs> and it was an awful year, but like we left that night going like, you know what? John Gallagher has something. And like, that was, yeah. that was in yeah. a weird way. Like that was our hope for the next season. Obviously like a lot of things went right the next season, but we had something, we had like one thing to hang our hats on. With, you know, to, it was like a positive performance um, out of like a meaningless game at the end of the year. Couldn't agree more, um, Jeremiah and Landon. That's that's what me and Michael talked about actually on Verde Lights. It's like that that provided some momentum heading into the offseason. It gave you something to hang on to. They ended on the right note. They beat a team who were in third place and heading into the playoffs. It's a good team. They beat them at home. And that was that was huge and definitely helped with the momentum heading into uh heading into the offseason next season so that that's an opportunity wasted for me they they could have especially especially against a team they've never beaten you know get get your first ever win against san jose knock them out of the playoffs but that's a great incentive i i, I couldn't understand settling for a point that's that's settling for mediocrity you know um, a couple of player notes that I had before we wrap this up is uh, I had some conversations over the last couple of weeks about Leo Weissen and how he he looked a, like a step off the pace when he came back from injury. I thought in the San Jose game, he looked a bit more like himself, uh, looked a little bit quicker, looked like he felt a little bit better. So that made me feel better about him going forward and that he he looked like he will be the player that we saw earlier in this season. Again, where there was a few games where he did not look like that guy. Uh, I thought Matt Hedges, when he came on, was solid for the however many minutes that he played. Um, a player I thought looked quite bad for most of the game is uh, Sebastian Triussi. He, I think he gave the ball over like three times needlessly in the first 15 minutes and then there's a few times where he just he tried something like needlessly cute in a moment where something simple would have been pretty effective. And that that's just been one of the biggest things this year for me is that he just has not looked like the same player as last year. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> for how much money? Name the price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th so this this is a theory that I have. Um and it, like we don't, I don't know. We talk about fan fiction on this show all the time, and this is this is one of my fan fiction stories. But talking about like the, the there's a lot of reasons why this season went the way that it did, but you see this in in all like all sports where guys are motivated on contract years, and then you see them dip sometimes after they get those contracts it feels like sebastian juicy and diego fagundes maybe got their their bags and then didn't take this offseason as seriously as maybe they did the off seasons before and then came into the season and it showed um do you th do y'all think that that is a a reasonable and realistic theory oh god there's a lot to get into with this michael do you uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> you want to jump in first? Yeah, it's 
it's hard because I, I'm always a, a a player's guy. Like I, I think players should get rewarded for when they have a good season. I think they should be held accountable for when the sum of their performances don't go the right way. What Sebastian's view seeing Diego Fagundes did, incredible in 2022. That is why we made the playoffs. That's why we made the Western Conference championship match. Uh, it was on the offensive output of those players and other players did the job as well. It was a team effort, but those two really shown. I think it was a combination of being handsomely rewarded for what they did and the timing of that, getting the extension on top of the new contract, that is really hard to find the, the new motivation. Both players came to Austin to prove a point. And Sebastian Juicy leaving Zenit, it was to come to Major League Soccer and still prove a point. It, he wasn't one of the highest paid players. He was still a DP, but he, he wasn't making Shakiri money. He was making good money. Diego Fagundes came to Austin to prove a point. And as a player, once you lose that, what's your why of being here, playing with that chip on your shoulder and you're rewarded for it, you have to find a new what's your why, a new why you show up. I think the injury woes that both players suffered didn't help their cause. And who you're surrounded with changes dramatically. I still don't know if making Sebastian Driussi the captain was the right choice. I think that changes his focus from being responsible for being the main man to being responsible for a losing team in a very difficult season. That wears on you. And he looked like a player who was carrying the weight of Austin on his shoulders. And once you get frustrated, once the frustration compounds, it shows on the fields. It shows in missed chances. Adrian, how many times did we do Verde Lights? And we would say, ah, oh, that's uncharacteristic from Sebastian Driussi. He missed from six yards out. That's his bread and butter, arriving and putting it away. I mean, once he gets one, he gets two. And it's almost like he's playing back in the playgrounds of Argentina. But this year, it felt like he was carrying the weight of the, the whole team on his shoulders because of the armband. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, to your question of motivation, Landon, I think there's probably something to that. I mean, it's human nature, isn't it? All of us. I mean, if you get three times the money... Um, and you're, and you're guaranteed for the next two or three years. Yeah, perhaps that's something, but that's certainly not the major thing. The major thing for me is just we're not using him correctly. We're, we're just not. He, 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 how, how many times this season do you see him hugging a touchline out wide? I'm like, God, this guy is one of the top two or three number 10s in the league. And we don't get him involved in and around the penalty area nearly as much. And it seemed but, to it seemed to it seemed to get exacerbated the longer the season went on, the further back he seemed to drop. And I feel just, like that's it, partially a, a Sebastian Giussi problem, though. I don't think anybody's telling him to do that. I think oh, they Giussi, are. the coach, coach is telling him to go wide. He is getting yeah. specific instructions to go wide. He he absolutely is getting those instructions. There there are times in the games though where it feels like he tries like we're we're down and we need something he'll drop deep and take the ball off of Pereira or Ring's foot and then make a terrible pass forward and like okay like i understand like you're the guy and you want to take this game over but this is not the space to do it like stay further forward and let these guys who are quite good at getting the ball forward get the ball forward to you and so i agree with you i think that i think mm -hmm. there're like some structural things that could be done to use him better but I think he needs to be a bit more disciplined as far as, far as like what he's doing as well.
But that, that, therein lies a question, though, and I think it's being generous. I think it's actually giving credit to 2022, the guys who are quite good at getting the ball forward. I think we struggled with that this season. The structural change and the shift, Danny P at the six, Ruben Gabrielson made it predictable for Julio Cascante. I think his presence in the back line, that, that's understated in how it's impacted this team. Just his presence of saying Sebastian Driussi. Last year, we, we got to hear this story from the team where when it got difficult, Ruben would be the guy who would say, Sebastian, stay high. Don't come back here. When you have that, that voice from the back saying, we will defend for you. We will get this ball to you. That gives you the world of, of confidence and, and just going upbeat to say, okay, you do your job. I'll do mine. And Ruben saying, go win us the games. We'll, we'll tee it up for you. Go win us the games. When you're looking back there and you're seeing the team struggle defensively, you're you're not receiving the balls and whether that's you getting frustrated, dropping back. And I, I do think there's a world where both of those things are true from the structural and the frustration because that happens with your best player. He'll be like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to do it myself. And that can't happen. But when there isn't that calming presence and that sense of belief in the back line and in the team, then you're going to try and do it on your own. And that was to his detriment overall in the air. But I, I think what both of you are saying is true. But I remember that it just brings up that story that we got to hear towards the very end of the season where Ruben was that vocal leader and that sense of calm when it got difficult of saying, Seba, stay high. And that resulted in last minute goals. It resulted in second half comebacks. And that yeah. you need that for a winning team. So what you're saying is we need to sign another player that Drew C is afraid of. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. I like sign, that. <laughs> sign two more. Sign two more. <laughs> but I, I think that hits on your point about him being um feeling a responsibility of being a captain and like maybe taking on too much. And whereas like he felt like did not just responsibility for himself, which he was comfortable in last year, but like responsible for everybody. And, and he, uh, you know, impaired that with like not having a strong voice, which I am also terrified of Ruben after we interviewed him, like just <laughs> even over zoom, like I get it. But uh, yeah, I just feel like yeah, I agree. Like he just it felt like he was just trying to do too much and was like not as effective as last year because a lot of that, along with all the other things that went on around him. All right, guys, I think we need to take a quick break and we're going to come back and answer some listener questions. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Mujar Soccer. Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Amplify Credit Union is a member-owned financial cooperative that served the needs of Central Texans for over five decades. Amplify's team lives and works in the community, making them the experts on how members can achieve their financial goals. What makes Amplify different? No bank fees. Amplify is the first financial institution in Texas to put an end to bank fees. In 2022, Americans paid almost $8 billion in overdraft fees alone. Millennials pay an average of $336 a year in bank fees, which works out to six Austin FC game tickets per person per year. Or I think what would have been like three tickets to the Soccer Assist Gala that we went to, or event that we went to last week. So you could also like have a good time and spend that too. You pay none of those bank fees with Amplify Credit Union. Amplify membership is open to any Texas resident. Learn to trust your bank again at Amplify Credit Union. To learn more, go to www.goamplify.com slash moontower. And we're happy to share that 
Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our premier sponsor, McGuire Woods Consulting. McGuire Woods Consulting helps companies and nonprofits navigate the political process at the Texas Capitol, in Austin at the city level, at the national level, wherever there are politics. There will be McGuire Woods Consulting, helping you through lobbying, communication strategies, and general advocacy. With offices across the country and in 10 MLS cities, including Austin, Houston, and Dallas, McGuire Woods Consulting is solidly Verde and Black. Learn more about our friends at McGuire Woods Consulting at mwcllc.com. All right, we are back. Still with us are Adrian Healy and Michael LaHood. We're going to answer some listener questions from our Patreon members. We're going to start off with one from Elise. She asks, uh, I'm curious how connected Adrian and Michael still are to the team. I know we emotionally claim them as ours, but what, if anything, is official as far as the connection with Austin FC goes? Well, I think... um... Yeah, I can speak for both of us, Michael. The, the official connection was was still being able to work together on shows this year. Obviously, we didn't have the same level of connection as we did in years one and year two, which was which was very special. I mean, I felt we were really kind of sort of part of the part of the fabric in year one and year two, and able to be kind of you know move freely um, in and amongst the players and the coaching staff and the and the facilities. And that changed a bit in year three, but it didn't it didn't change our kind of connection to the team michael i, th- I think I'm, I'm fair in saying is it's 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 still been still been a case of i feel feel like it's us when you when, when we say we did it our did it we're ours or we i still feel like i can use that collective connective noun for austin because it's been a, it's been it's been a big part of my life for three years now yeah it's it's one thing to be a broadcaster and it's another thing to really feel like you're the voice of not just verde and black but in the last three years, just being a voice for the storytelling that's, that goes on behind the scenes. I, I think back to Musa Jite and scoring the hat trick. Yeah. And we go in the next day and everyone, Musa included, just on cloud nine, but seeing Davey Arnault. And we were, I'll never forget this. We were calling the game and you pointed this out, Adrian, that Davey was the one who went to Joss and sc- screamed at him in remember I was doing a replay and, and Adrian goes, Moose is going in. And I'm like, number one, how do you, how do you do that? How do you know things when it's about to happen? Only Tony Romo knows how to do that. But here we are. Adrian Healy does that. And so Musa goes in, the rest is history. But then hearing the backstory of why Davey did that and their special bond, their special relationship, Musa's struggle with the English language and Davey's connection with French and being in Montreal. And Montreal is the one place where he felt at home and at peace when the team would travel and just those things being able to share that. I think those are the special moments that as I look back on these last three years and yeah, the, the future, who knows what happens in the future, but that's what makes our relationship with Austin. I, I think really special. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why, um, yeah, Michael was talking about Ruben. We, we saw, firsthand in, in year two, what a huge, huge impact Ruben and Felipe had. Yeah. Uh, even though Felipe didn't contribute that much on the field, both of them were massive in that locker room, just massive and really drove that team forward. And I think we missed both of them this year. Yeah. Well, well you guys, I was going to say, you guys have had a couple, you guys have had a couple stories already, but the other part of this question is like, is there anything y'all want to unload on 
you know, <laughs> are, there, are there any things you guys, is there anything you want to break or like some grievances? Like this is your open, open festival season here. If there's anything that you guys want to like share that you, that you haven't already, but like that Gita story is great. I, there's a couple other things you guys have shared that I've like, we didn't know about as fans. So like, we appreciate that perspective mm-hmm. on, but like, is there anything else that comes to mind sort of along those lines that, that, that you do want to share? Um, I think we we may need a part two for this. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. no, seriously, I mean, I you know, I know we've already been going a long time, so I yeah, I don't know, Michael. What do you, what do you think? I I I I struggle with this because in any organization, there's going to be yeah. things that rub you the wrong way, and and a professional soccer team's no different. But but you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I particularly want to unload in this forum. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. Don't yeah. come to my office and ask me about like Texas Mutual because <laughs> I will also not unload. All right. That's good. That's yeah. a good point. No, I, I will add this. I, I will say that it's it's seasons like 2021 and the frustrations of this season that really illuminate how special last year was. And yeah. I remember at the end of last season, I remember we were packing up right before the playoffs and um, and I remember Adrian said this to us. He said, hey, enjoy it, guys. Winning seasons are always better than losing ones. And that's obvious. But from our standpoint and being able to talk about the team, and we are all involved in soccer media, look at from social media. I remember going through and just from Landon to everyone, seeing the tweets of jubilation and how quickly you you expect it to build just because you got to the Western Conference Championship. Just because yeah. you finished second in the West, of like, okay, Concap Champions League, we're going from strength to strength. Don't take those winning seasons for granted, and it really yeah. paints 2022. And like, okay, that that was a gem of an experience, and hopefully, we have more of that with Austin FC. But for all of us to be a part of the storytelling, that was unique. Yeah, I'll get. I'll give you one little thing that I, I would. I wish they would have done differently last year, even in in a great year in 2022. Jared Stroud. I I, oh. I felt really. I felt really bad for Jared Stroud because I felt he was treated pretty awfully um, and and was just kind of frozen out and not even not even kind of acknowledged. And um, it is it's actually really been heartwarming to see how he's done this year and he's found a home on a, on a, on a really successful team and has done really well. So that to me is kind of a story uh, on a personal level that wasn't so good while it was happening, but it's great to see the outcome. All right. Next question comes from Kevin Trahan and he says, besides getting better players, what can Wolf do to fix the defense? I ask this because the defense was still bad when he had healthy center backs. He clearly liked in 2022 and it, because it seems like we're sticking with Cascante no matter how many mistakes he makes. So I want to give my quick answer on this one and then throw it to Michael here. So I feel I feel like a lot of blame, and sometimes rightly so, gets aimed at the center backs. But I think like in an ideal scenario, your center backs won't be in situations where they're defending on the back foot in transition with no coverage in front of them. Like, you you like ideally if they are in that situation you would you would want to have faith that they're going to win that some of those battles i don't have much faith in those situations right now but you also would like hope that your center backs wouldn't be in that situation all the time one of the things that i've noticed is uh just like in austin's like rest defense like in their structure as they're attacking it seems like anytime we give the ball over as we're in the in the attacking third that we are 
toast. Like there's the like, yeah, the center backs are slow or not center backs or whatever, but also it seems like our midfield was never in the right spot to even slow anything down in those moments. Michael, as someone who played in the midfield, what, like, how do you, how do you improve that? Is it just like a focus and mentality thing? Like, how do you get better in those situations as far as like defending and transition and knowing when you can go a bit further forward and when you need to sit back a little? I think it's twofold from looking at the two center backs this year, there was more of a focus on playing out of the back and I know in the media and in press conferences, Josh and the staff had talked about, no, we want to be, you want to protect the back four more. And that's why we saw an extra defender in there. And it looked like a back three at times. And oftentimes when we were playing and putting John Gallagher up as that winger, but the difference between the two years was we had more protection and more just of a defensive safeguard in the midfield. And there's one player that wasn't a part of the midfield for most of the season. Alexander Ring had more of a defensive midfield presence. Yeah. And when we went on our run, Alex Ring was playing as a defensive midfield. Ruben Gabrielson was behind him. So Ruben Gabrielson is a very different player than Julio Cascante. And I know Leo Weissenden is a good ball-playing center back, but those are, those are the gambles that you take when you put so much emphasis on we're going to have two ball-playing center backs. You don't need two. You have one. And you have another one that if you go in the market, please get some speed, man. Get some speed. Other teams hmm. seem to get speed. There's fast center backs in this league. Make that a priority. It's not rocket science. Get speed and commit to one ball playing center back. If that's Julio, then that's your guy. If you're going to play a back three, then you have two ball playing center backs in Julio and Leo, and you got a guy who can run for days. But we need speed, and we need a true defensive midfielder whose sole job is to break up plays and intercept. You get those two things the goals we're giving up change overnight. Yeah, I guess, I guess it kind of goes back to what you were saying before is that. Yeah. It's like having personnel in the right spots where Danny Pereira as a lone six, like it's almost like, of course he's going to be out of position because that's what he's good at is carrying the ball out of that position. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I like, you because like I, I was saying before, like I think the center backs get put in bad yeah. situations by the rest of the team. They're they're not well equipped to deal with those situations, and that's part of the problem as well. But yeah, like I I think you're right that like having someone who is like a proper defensive midfielder to kind of yeah. slow down those moments. Like I'm not asking for Diego Chara, but somebody a little bit closer to that who can close down <laughs> some of those spaces. And you're right, like having Alex ring, not in the midfield. And he was playing a bit further forward most of last season, but he was still in that area and could be one of the guys to, to track back and kind of break up some of those moments. Let's go to this Tom Halleck question. Cause this is one of the interesting ones. Well, the first statement is not really a question. Please give, please give all of our love to Michael and Adrian. So we'll start with that. We'll start with the statement part of it. Nice. I think it comes from, it comes from everybody. <laughs> um, and really just like the off season. Um, so Tom projects 13, players turned over which seems like a lot to be like 13? what what wow <laughs> what what do y'all see in terms of like off-season turnover knowing that i guess we got this announcement that we'll probably start seeing names um maybe the next few days maybe even this week probably usually knowing our history like tomorrow after we've recorded 
they'll announce all the players without a contract. <laughs> but I, guess, I guess for, but, first, but like, what, first what you, question, does 13 sound high? Because to me, that sounds high. It seems really high to me too, yeah. Well, first I'll, team, for I, sure. I would answer that question, first of all, by looking across the state at the Houston Dynamo. How many how many new players did they sign last season? Mm, as well as, yeah. as well as as well as getting a new coach, I should add. Sixteen. <laughs> they signed sixteen wow. new players. Yeah. And wow. it's worked out pretty well for them. Um yeah. so I you know, Rodolfo's kind of set the expectations pretty low, isn't he, in his press conferences, which I wasn't sure yes. about doing, but he's like, oh, is this going to take several windows? And it might, but you're not restricted to just doing two or three moves per window. You can do a big time shakeup if you if you <laughs> if you make the right moves and make the right maneuvering within the salary cap limitations. There are it can be done. Houston have shown it can be done. They had a lot of high playing players on their squad at the end of last year who weren't performing, they got rid of. They, you can find a way to do it. So um, I would say, I don't know what the number's going to be, but it's going to be significant. Yeah. I mean, when, when you start thinking about, so it's it's got to be more than two or three just based mm-hmm. on the number of contracts that are up, right? And so, yeah, I, I was thinking more in the in the range of like seven to 10, and maybe they leave a few open for the summer window but i mean tom might not be too far off when you start thinking about like uh alfonso ocampo chavez charlie asensio some of these guys who are on technically on first team contracts and are probably expiring this year like maybe you swap in some of the other guys and that's going to be one of our other questions we'll get to that in a second but uh maybe maybe it is closer to 13 just and like that's out of necessity to an extent, like you're going to have to sign at least five or six new ones just from the guys who are almost certainly leaving. And then, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you this, Adrian, what, if you like, what would be your position of priority? If you're going to bring in like target one big signing, what position would that be? Center Ford. <laughs> we've never, we've never had the number nine that we need. Never in our three years of our club history. We, we, we came close to having it with Musa Jite. He's as close as we got, quite frankly. Um, and Musa really, Musa played like three good games, really. Right, right. <laughs> well, he was young and he was a project, and there were all sorts of other things going on with him. But that's that's the yeah. style of centre forward that this game model requires. Michael, your good friend, Special K. Oh, obviously, obviously, we're not talking about him now, but this whole game model, which is based on the Burholder Columbus game model, requires a Kai Kamara esque in his prime. Center forward. That's what it's all built around. If you're going to send in 58 crosses a game, you need a special K to get on the end of it. We've never had that. And I can't believe it hasn't been more of a priority. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And as soon as you said that, there's a guy who came to mind immediately. He's backing up a center forward who's my vote for MLS comeback player of the year. He scored against Austin. Agata. William Agata. Yeah. Get him. Austin's got to get him. Go after him. I that I like that player. The sort a lot. of player where he can hold the ball up, he can create his own chances, and he's dying for minutes. He, he knows stretch, he's not going to get. He can stretch a line too. Yeah, he's got pace to get him behind. And Sebastian Driussi, when we talked to him last year, and Musa started getting hot, he said, "I love playing with Musa because yeah. Musa runs and stretches the line." And he goes, "I all I know I have to do is just run with him." And the ball's going to fall yeah. to me. We need that sort of player. You want to get Seba going? Get a player who can stretch the line. Get a player who has the mobility to hold up the ball, create space for Seba. You'll see Seba come alive. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. And there's going to be space for it, right? I know Zardes is guaranteed for a couple more years, but Bruin is out of contract. Ruti's out of contract. There's a, a significant amount of salary space there and the roster spots to bring in someone else in that spot. And then you could even say like, spend that extra money on that. And if Ragoni uh, is is still around, then he's that third option maybe as, as the number nine. And so, yeah, I, I like that move. I think, I mean, Wolf mentioned specifically in the press conference the other day, more competition across the back line. I think, I think he said on the like fullback and center back. He said, yeah, fullback center back and on the wings and did not mention the forwards for some reason, but I feel like that that's a given. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, I, I said this a few shows back that as far as like guys we think can move out, there's not going to be a great market for, a lot of the players on the current team. That doesn't mean you can't move them. It just means it's going to be tough for, to move multiple of them. I think of the players who are um, are movable that I think we could be aggressive and kind of upgrade on is Nick Lima's spot. Nick Lima is a guy who is, he's a fine, perfectly fine player. I like, he actually, I thought he played decent against San Jose the other night. Um, but as far as like how we want to play in this system, I think you could either get, talking about that that fast center back like maybe trade him out and bring in someone in that spot and play that back three and bring in some more speed there or bring in a more uh chance creating fullback so like looking more towards like the kai uh kai wagner mold where it's like a real chance creator because lima is kind of like in between i see him as like sixes across the board he's like decent at all of it and so that's a spot as far as like trades to look for, but looking at uh center back as many center backs as we have guaranteed and with the, <laughs> the salaries they're on, I, I calculated just for those like first three guys, it's like $2.25 million wrapped up in just those three guys salaries. Can they justify bringing in someone else on decent salary without shipping one of those guys out somehow? I, I don't think, I mean, I'll, I'll broaden this to the whole squad. I don't think there are many untouchables at all on this squad. But can you I move mean, them? Is, like, is there well, anywhere can to move you? Them? It's a different question. But I, but, 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 are they completely untouchable? No, I think I think you can count them on one hand. The, the, the players that are untouchable. I don't know if you can, if there is genuinely a market for uh, for Leo Weissen, and I would I would think not because he's he's uh, an international. And he's he's you know, he's only going to be at the start of his second year. I expect Weissman to get better next year. I, I don't know about the Matt Hedges situation. Not not too sure about that signing. Um, great player in his day, but but 33 now and on a lot of money. Um, yeah, I mean, there are questions all over the field. There really are. Um, you know, and again, I think we'd need a part two to really delve into it. But, <laughs> but, um, but uh yeah, it just depends. I mean, Rodolfo Burrell is going to have his hands mighty, mighty, mighty full because I expect a lot of ins and outs, and and I expect you know the the untouchables to be very few. It, talking about one specific spot that I think we've talked a lot about, expecting to be free next year, or in an ideal scenario, coming back for lesser money. We 
<laughs> I, I think the kind of show that we do and the type of media that we are, like we're not we're not pretending to be Tom Bogert or Fab Romano <laughs> out here, but we're not we're not breaking transfer news. But we we have little birdies tell us things every once in a while. And if we're talking about the three most likely scenarios for Alex Ring being his option being picked up and staying, his option being picked up and getting sold, or him leaving as a free agent, I'm not. I'm not so sure which is most likely at this point. Hmm. I'll take number three, please. <laughs> it's um, That's what I would take too. I'm just saying yeah. I'm not so sure now. Yeah. I. It's been a turbulent 2023 for Alex Ring. As a player, there's so many factors, especially when, when you are in a year where you're now a free agent. And that, that's that's one of the, the new mechanisms in Major League Soccer since COVID. A lot more player power when it comes to free agency. And when you're Alex Ring and you take a step back and you just look at all the pieces, you start with the first blow. The captain's armband was taken away from you. That is a that's a that's a big decision. Number one, that says your manager no longer trusts you to lead this team. Even though you were the captain, and there are a lot of leaders, but you were the captain in the year your team made the Western Conference Championship. And then you, because of personnel and because of we're going to go younger in the midfield, you get told that you are backing up two young midfielders. That's another blow. And then because of injuries, and partly because you earn it to be in there, you now find yourself as the guy to start. It's going to take a lot of convincing and trust needs to be repaired. When those things happen, trust breaks down between player, coach, and staff and club. How can I trust you again that I'm not going to experience this same thing? Because now all of a sudden you need me. At the start of the season, you told me you didn't need me as a leader. You, didn't, you told me you didn't need me as a, mid, a starting midfielder. That's why it makes me hard to see him coming back. Here's a guy who's used to starting since he walked into the field in Major League Soccer, and there's uncertainty for the first time in his career. And he's he doesn't strike me as a guy who wants to see it out. He, he wants to be the guy. He wants to have a voice. He wants to be the main guy in midfield. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued, Landon, why you think he'll be back. And, and on the same money, I, I, to me, he's the first, first one out the door. First one. Um, so especially at the money he's on. And as a DP, you're kidding me? That's that's a that's a no-brainer. But I, I'm I'm intrigued that you have an opposite an opposite point of view. So maybe he, maybe there's some go on. He is currently on Max Tam. And so there is a scenario where uh if you keep GTA out on loan long enough, if Rodney Redis's contract is up, we don't know about that either. That would leave Jean Kolmanich as the only U22 player. Then in that scenario, you could buy down ring and get another full DP. Um, and so he wouldn't necessarily have to be a DP anymore. But if they pick up that option, if that option is exercised, then he would be still a Max Tam player. Yeah. But I, I have to think they're not going to pick up that option. I mean, why, why yeah. would you, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Um, Unless it's for significantly less, significantly. I mean, you can't use that much money on 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 a player like him who's been in the league as long as he has. It it just doesn't make any sense at all. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so we, we're going to run out of time here, like soon. But I'm going to have get a bunch of questions. I'm going to ask you all one dumb one because I love it. Um, I think we can probably bundle together a couple of smart ones. So let's start with a dumb one from our favorite uh, listener, ATX Burkamp Lover 6969420, who wants to know if you're to become a WWE style professional wrestler, what would your name and persona be? And would Adrian and Michael be a tag team? <laughs> I know you guys watch wrestling. So like, just, yeah. just like, what, what's your favorite? I do. T- I like, since I was a child, I did. So like, I feel like this is the question I was like ready to answer. Oh my Ooh. God. I used to, I used to watch this. This is really going to frighten you. I used to watch uh, English wrestling uh, in, in, the, in the late 70s. Like, well, I didn't have any choice because they put it on Saturday afternoon TV just before the, just before the uh, the results came on, and there used to be a, uh, used to be a wrestler called Giant Haystacks. So it was just like you know, <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's my idol when it comes to wrestling. Um, I don't know if Michael and I can come up with a tag team <laughs> on the spot for you. What would we be? I don't know. Are you, do you did you follow wrestling or do you follow wrestling, Michael? Yeah. Oh my gosh, do I ever? Yeah, I actually went to a, a WWE event in San Antonio um, this year with. Adrian knows and my, my good buddy Steve Newman and oh just brought back a lot of memories. I my idol was the rattlesnakes, don't call Steve Austin. Uh questionable choice of beer unless Bud Weiser wants to sponsor the pod, but I love it. But uh, if you change the beer out and give me some Lone Star instead of Budweiser, that's my guy. <laughs> my Jeremiah, did you it. come up did you come yeah. up with a persona, Jeremiah? Well, t- well, two things. First of all, you're obviously Mr. H and Mr. L, and I don't know what personas you guys have, but you should be a tag team because we've already learned this. And second of all, I'm also a Stone Cold Steve Austin guy, and once because so he played football at the University of North Texas, and I once like back in the day when documents were traded on paper, like I called the sports information department and told them I was writing a book about Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> and needed every record they had about him. <laughs> And they sent me like the media guys from the eighties when he's playing football there. And like, just, and then, then they called me and they're like, how's the book going? I'm like, oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I lied about everything, but yeah. That's so I've got like crazy. a lot of like deep background on soul keep stone cold from, uh, from Victoria. Awesome. So I love it. That's, that's I, awesome. I felt bad. Cause I usually don't put in the legwork on, on ATX Burkamp camp lovers questions, <laughs> uh, but I, I went for it this one. So there's like a lot of like absurd, like joke gimmicks, throughout the span of the history of wrestling. And so I'd definitely be one of those. So I didn't actually have to fight that much and just be more like comic <laughs> relief. Uh, but I decided my name would be hot dog and I would use motifs and imagery of both like dogs, the animal and hot dogs, the food, like kind of interchangeably. And then would throw in some of the weird, like sub subversive elements of like gold dust and just be like a very strange wrestling character. <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 there's a few of them, a long list of them. So <laughs> yeah. I think that fits you, man. Um, the next thing I was going to ask entrance is, music is atomic dog by George Clinton. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't get that far. <laughs> nice. I was going to go to this Martin Peterson question, which is like Austin FC two players who you think will be on the first team next year. Do y'all have like a list or mm. is there anybody in particular want, that y'all want to see landing? I want to answer this. An answer. I have a okay. list here. Uh, where's my list? Well, I lost my list, but I know it on my head. So uh, as far as like the guys who I think just seem most ready, I think it's a pretty short list. Um, I think David Rodriguez, Valentin Noel, 
are the two like clear offensive options that I think could probably step in and do a decent role player job in the team. Now Uh, the other guys I know, like I know for these are guys I wasn't quite sure about, but I know that they have these two that I'm about to mention have trained with the first team fairly extensively. And that's Joe Hafferty and check Torrey. And so Joe Hafferty, like I, I don't know exactly what position he would be good at. He's, quite small to play center back. Um, maybe he could play fullback and like slot into that Nick Lima flex center back uh, attacking fullback role. Um, and then check Tori is like, I mean, I, I say this on the show quite regularly, but early in the season, I was like, this guy's not really a fullback. And he wasn't, he was a winger his whole life. And I swear he heard me say that and <laughs> was like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. And he's like, pretty pretty decent defensively now and so um and then just like sauce for days on the ball and so i think he would be a a fun addition to play maybe that like all gas no breaks wing back with uh with three center backs behind him or something uh i think some something that somebody reminded me of today is that uh david rodriguez is on a loan and so Mm. that complicates that a little bit then you're paying a transfer fee for a guy who's probably on a supplemental roster spot and do you want to waste GAM or whatever it's going to cost to to actually bring him in full time? That's complicated. Uh, Val Noel is would count as an international. I think with some of the guys we think are probably leaving, we would probably have the international spot for him. But maybe they want to save those for other people. So um, I, th- I think those are the four guys. Uh, and then, I mean, you say CJ Fodre already has the contract, but I think like Charlie Asensio, I wouldn't be surprised if they if he he loses his first team contract and either leaves or signs on a second team contract and then same for uh AOC like i don't see either of those yeah. guys keeping their yeah. first team and, status and uh, and and are you are we assuming Damian Lass is is in that mm. mix too i think that's the biggest question right i mean he's he's probably too good to keep playing next pro we already have a really good keeper for pretty cheap on the first team and so I, I it feels like a waste to sit Damian Loss on the bench uh for the first team. So I mean, do you like do you do the unthinkable and move Stuver and and push Loss into that first <laughs> spot? Uh like or do you like maybe try to move Loss while while you still have him under contract? Like I think that's the toughest call as far as things regarding the second team because you want a young keeper to play. Um, but he's quite clearly our second best goalkeeper now. So I, yeah, do y'all have thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, I think he's, I think he's confident and he's ready and he's, he's, yeah. he would like, he would be up for the task of actually challenging for that, for that number one spot. I think it would take an awful lot to dislodge Stuver, but, but that's what you want in your first team. Yeah. You want to be first, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love that we're having this conversation because I, I a hundred percent agree that he's too good to be playing next pro and, what happens when a goalkeeper proves his worth is other teams take notice. Austin and Austin fans weren't the only ones watching that MLS Next Pro final. So if you're Damian Loss, you're in a very good position because for Austin FC, you got to get him games. And Brad Stuber is our number one, but you don't have to play Brad Stuber for Open Cup games. <laughs> yeah, Open that's Cup. A coaching, the- this, that's an open. That's that's a conversation between coach and goalkeepers. Those are where you give. If you have a good backup goalkeeper, you got to give him the games. You can't just let him sit there or else if I'm Damian Loss, hey, say this, I'm picking up the phone and 
hey, you got to go where you're wanted. You got to go where you're going to get minutes. He's ready yeah. for it. And I hope it's with Austin. Do y'all think that, like, let's say Damian Loss stays on, plays Open Cup. Maybe we've been lucky with Stuver injuries as well. He's been, he played every every minute this season. And so let's say that doesn't happen next year. He he has to sit out for a few games. If Damian Loss gets like five to 10 games under his belt next year, is that worth having him on the first team? Or do you think it would still be more valuable to have him loaned out to a USL squad or something like that? No, absolutely. If he, if he, he he would probably take that right now if you were guaranteeing him five to ten games in in different competitions. Um, I would say it, it's time. It is time for him to make that move into a first team squad, and 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 it's got to be ours, surely. I mean, it's 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 the perfect setup for him uh, to have someone like Brad a, a ahead of him. Because um, as you say, how many times have you seen it, Michael, in this league? When established number ones have got injured or something's happened and they've had a drop in form, someone else has stepped in and they haven't looked back. Dane Sinclair springs to mind. He yeah. was, he was, yeah. was out on the bench for so long in Minnesota. didn't look like he was ever going to look and suddenly he was there. Yeah. The next thing you know, he's playing, like going to a World Cup, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I, another goalkeeper I played with the guy, Andre Blake. <laughs> yeah. Andre Blake, his first two years was pinned to the bench. We had to beg Jim Curtin and say, Jim, this kid's good. What are you doing? You got to give him minutes or else he's going to be out of here. And through injury, through concussion to John McCarthy, who talk about coming full circle in MLS Cup last year, but through injury and concussion, that's the only way that Andre got minutes, did it through the Open Cup. And the rest is history. And Jamaica's happy with it. And Philadelphia certainly are happy with it. So having two quality goalkeepers is there's so many teams in major league soccer that wish they had that problem, but you got to give the one who's backing up. You got to reward the fact that they're pushing that starting position. The fact that they're ready to get some minutes, you got to give them a bone. You got to give them a game. Yeah. And I, I think we also, we kind of think of players on a certain timeline. And I think it's good to remind ourselves that like goalkeepers are, are on a slightly different timeline from the outfield players, right? Like 21 years old is still quite young for a goalkeeper. And so if he, if he's the backup and gets five to 10 games next year, that's not a waste of his development necessarily kind of like what Adrian was saying. So yeah, I think that's important to remember as well. Uh, Michael, yeah. I, I wanted to get you to maybe back up an opinion that I have that I've seen uh, some people challenging online over the last couple of days. You're a guy who played, you spent your career in between USL and MLS. Mm. I've seen a lot of people saying like, okay, this Austin FC two team is so good. There has to be a bunch of guys on this team who could just step right into the first team and help us. Mm. I, I'm of the opinion that there's maybe a handful who could slot in and like do a serviceable, serviceable job, but at that level, not many players are going to be able to step straight into MLS and like really make a difference. Do you agree with that? Or do you think I'm underestimating these guys? No, I, I think you're spot on. It doesn't take away the shine of what these players have earned. And no, absolutely the, char not. the character that this group has shown to come back to get goals late in games. And they did it in the final. There's one guy that comes to mind and Damian last, we talked about him, but I'm scratching my head at why Valentin Noel didn't get more minutes. And I'm going to say he's a, not on a first team contract, so he can't. Well, get, why did he not get a first team contract? <laughs> I don't think <laughs> we have, we don't have a roster spot. <laughs> there's, there's, there's something we could have done about that. 
and I'm going to bring up a name yeah. that we've all been scratching our heads about. Rodney. <laughs> I know. I know where you're going. Yeah. Oh, Redes. First, first time we mentioned him tonight. I can't believe it took an hour and a half. But. <laughs> Rodney Redes. You've lost confidence in, in Rodney Redes. When was the last time he played? Yo, no, I, I, nobody's going to argue with you, but you like, you have to find a place to send him. Right. And so, oh, there's, there's plenty of places. There's a, there's a team down the street actually that I can call tomorrow. They might be a little bit lower. Now nah, I'm just being facetious, but <laughs> those are, those, those are the decisions. And I get you sign players to contracts, but when a season hasn't gone your way, if it's truly about winning, if it's truly about turning things around and not letting a season go by the wayside, you have a young player who is ready to give minutes. I'm not saying he's ready to just walk in and start overnight, but he's ready for the first team. He's ready for a first team. And just like with Damian Lass, if Austin FC aren't going to reward him with a first team contract after this season, someone will. We've seen it with Jared Stroud. <laughs> mm. I'd hate for that to happen again with a player like Val Noel. Yeah, I I, there's, I was looking through just kind of the records of like how many players can we expect to kind of make that jump? And looking back at last year's Columbus Crew two, who won the the next pro final, I think there was like one one main player, Jason Russell Rowe, who made mm -hmm. made the step up. Uh, he 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 scored like twenty one goals in next pro last year though. He was like a next level player at that level. I think they had four or five other guys who spent most of their time down last year and played most of their time up this year. But I think all of those guys were on first team contracts already. So I, to your point, I would like to see that get corrected a little bit this year where we can have some younger guys on those supplemental roster spots that maybe even if they do spend most of their time down playing with ATX two, that they have the ability to play up because like we weren't going to play Charlie Asensio or Alfonso Campo Chavez on the first team. Like the, our best players were not on the first team contracts and that needs to be remedied, right? Like we need to right. have our the best players at that level to have the ability to play up whenever we need them to. And we just couldn't do it this year, but yeah, hopefully that gets fixed uh, in this, this off season. Uh, Jeremiah, what else? We're we're kind of running out of time here. Yeah, I was any like, other questions think, we need to hit? <laughs> I, I think the question we just have is like, do you, yeah, I feel like a little bit like we're maybe possibly at the end of an era here with you guys. And so I would say like, what final thoughts do you have overall? I mean, I think we're never going to talk to y'all again, but like <laughs> y'all as a team, but in like generally like overall, you know, for this club and going forward and like anything, you know, just want to say to like listeners of this show, maybe it was separately like, what do you want to see from this club going forward? What do you want to say to people who listen to Moon Tower Soccer about sort of your experience over the last three years? Um, I, I I will start with this thought. I I want the the fans of this club to be rewarded for the the part they've played in in what has been an amazing three years. Uh, you know, Michael and I were continuously kind of counting our lucky side. I mean, we kind of knew it was going to be special, Michael, didn't we? We just knew it yeah. before we before we a ball was kicked. We just knew this was going to be a special city and a really special fan base. And I think the the reality of that far exceeded it. And it's just the frustrations we have with some elements of on-field and off-field really really come to bear on our feelings of this this fan base deserves deserves more. We always feel like they deserve more. So I, I just, you know, I would say 
I would say to fans out there, just keep the faith, keep supporting the team, but but don't be afraid to kind of be vocal and put pressure on when you think things aren't being done right on, on or off the field. I mean, I think that's an important part of being a fan is you never stop supporting, but you, you never stop being critical either. And um, I would just love to see this club just just blossom. Um, we've seen what's possible. We've seen what's possible in, in 2022, that magical year. And uh, it's it's been a really, really amazing three years. I think Michael and I will, mm. will say uh, whatever we have done and may still do, it, it, it will be it will be time that we never, ever forget and we'll always talk about. Yeah, that's really well said. I And I'm so glad you mentioned just that, that phrase, use your voice. I, one of the things I've come to respect about Austin and really Austin FC fans is the power of using your voice. I remember things like Juneteenth and that was a special moment in 2021 being able to be a part of that. The first ever game in state home game in club history on Juneteenth. And then just some of the, the, the really heartbreaking things, the, the shooting in Uvalde and how Austin FC fans were the ones not Major League Soccer, but Austin FC fans were the united voice to, to, to really mourn what happened and say, hey, this has to stop. And just as much as fans have used their voice to voice things like that, you guys deserve so much. We, I mean, I, Adrian, I, you, are, you and I are fans. How many times do we say, oh, I was, I was doing this for work and turned on the game and had the Austin game. And we mourn yeah. with you when, when we don't get a result. We're elated. Yeah. I mean, man, I've got enough margarita glasses at home <laughs> to testify to that. You know, I'm not going to say how many because that would be a problem. But yeah. um, so I, I echo that. And looking back on just these three years, it, what an honor it's been to, to really get to know this city, to get to know it's one thing to hear Austin is a soccer city, but to live it alongside everyone, the two of you with Adrian, we've made such amazing friends through this experience and ones that will be long lasting. And in a weird way with the new form of Apple TV, it puts more onus and power on forums like this to speak the voice of truth. And it's yeah. opened up where authentic voices in the game, this is what the rest of the world has. And so I just want to encourage Moon Tower, keep it going. Because this vehicle, this platform, it is so important to just creating an authentic experience for Austin FC and soccer in this country as we build the 2026. Like that's the great launching pad. You need things like this to, to, to really give it credence and, and value. Yeah. Mike, Michael, yeah, you mentioned the the community that's been built around this team, and Jeremiah and I say all the time that that's been the best part of this whole this whole journey, and we're we're honored to have both of you as part of that community. I know that your professional careers may may take you further from from us at one point in the in the future, but we're we're very honored to to have gotten to work with you some and to have you as part of that community that's been so special to all of us. Well, I can say for me personally, whatever I have done in my career and whatever I may still do, there's never been a higher adrenaline level I've had for anything I've ever done 
and standing in front of those fans and doing the heartbeat of Austin before, oh. before, uh, oh, before that's awesome. that. Well, well, everything about that night was magical. That was the LAFC home game last year, which was an ESPN yeah. game. So Michael and I were off. We were able to do the heartbeat. And my goodness, I was I, I was told I was beating that drum as if, uh, as if my life depended <laughs> oh, on I've, it. I've I, seen, I didn't realize how hard I was beating it. But, I've seen but it very joy. few do it with as much enthusiasm, <laughs> Well, I will, I will definitely be tight-lipped on the inspiration for that. Um, that is a Moon Tower pod after dark for why, but no, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right well guys this has been a lot of fun thanks so much for joining us uh we look forward to talking to you again hopefully in the near future but uh yeah y'all have a good night and thanks so much great stuff guys all right, keep thanks, up the guys. great work see ya moon tower soccer is brought to you by covert ford the coverts have been meeting the needs of local car buyers for 114 years because of their service financial expertise and support after the sale in addition to supporting car buyers, Covert's an important part of the soccer community and the official automotive partner of Austin FC. We want to tell you this week about a deal on a 2023 Ford F-150 Supercrew XLT, stock number 2230514. There's an MSRP of $69,400, but with a manufacturer's rebate of $2250 and dealer discount of $10,157, you can lease this truck for $389 a month for 36 months which gives you $7,500 7, miles per year with $6,000 due at signing. You can visit covertford.com or see the dealer for details. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, be sure to check out covertford.com. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. The good folks at Sage Wilson, I don't know if you got this, but like we got invited to a pumpkin patch uh, <laughs> this past Saturday, but we were out of town, so we weren't able to make it, but it looked like that was probably like a good amount of delightful family fun for Sage Wilson Realty clients and partners. So if you want somebody that is going to sell, help you sell your house, but also do a little bit more after the sale, be sure to check out Sage Wilson Realty. If you or someone you know are in need of Sage Real Estate Advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. You can find them online at sagewilson.com. All right. We want to thank Adrian Healy and Michael LaHood for joining us. Uh, it's, it's great to hear both of their voices at the same time again, because we haven't gotten to do that in a while. But also uh, thankful to them for for giving so much of their time to us. Uh, and we also want to thank our Patreon members for sending in those questions. We didn't get to all of them. Jeremiah, I think we can probably keep some of those in our pocket for the next couple of weeks and and use some of them then. But uh, apologies to those of you whose whose questions we didn't get to. Uh, we're going to go quickly, since this has been kind of a long show already, we're going to go quickly through the MLS Next Pro Final, where Austin FC 2 beat the Columbus Crew 2 3-1. to one. So, uh, I mean, this is a huge deal, right? Like, Austin FC 2, their first year of existence, um, having such a big year, being able to go four road playoff games in a row to get to the final and win it. Like I, this is, I did not expect this to happen this year. <laughs> no, and it was a little bit of an up and down season too. I think we've talked about this, like early Austin FC two started out really strong and then sort of faded a little bit in the middle. And then probably through bringing some players back, like really, you know, in the playoffs, like came through and came through in an interesting way. And you talked about it, like came through and winning on the road. Um, and I was reminded 
uh, you know, last year, like six weeks before the season started, this team had like five players and everybody was worried about was the roster build too slow and was it even going to be competitive? And obviously everything turned out fine. So congratulations to everybody that was involved um, in that roster build. And I guess the other thing was there's a little bit of back and forth online sniping between like the Columbus fans, the Austin fans, which gave me a little, you know, recollection of 2017, which is either great or traumatic, depending <laughs> upon how much you like arguing on the internet. Like, did you, did that take you back to the old days a little bit? Did you think about it at all? Or, or, or well, were you just I, like, this, this is just another like second team final and it doesn't matter. I missed all of this online. Like I didn't, I didn't see any of this that you're talking about, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I think, I think those days kind of, thickened my skin a little bit and taught me the ways of, of social media arguing in that mostly you should just not. <laughs> and that like things that you think are very important and that are worth, worth fighting over are in actuality things that only 10 people even saw. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is what we're six years down the road now from this, like the original save the original, uh, Anthony Precourt might move the team to Austin take yeah. and obviously like neither of the second teams or anybody associated with the second teams had anything literally at all to do with this well um, i mean to into that like most of the like no nobody save a handful of people had anything to do with it really uh right. but i'm guessing all of the players on both teams have no clue about any of that <laughs> some of them were like 12 years old when this yeah. all went on so let's let's just okay let's talk about the game a little bit because uh, I got worried in the second half when Columbus did score the first goal on a penalty because Austin has not shown a lot of goal scoring prowess. And so I was very happy to be surprised by this, <laughs> surprised by like, the comeback and the outcome. So you, let's maybe talk about the first goal. Uh, yeah. It's so it, and, like, it's, I thought it was kind of soft, but maybe. Yeah. Let, let, well, let's come back to that. So I think the first half, Columbus was controlling most of the game i mean that's a good team like they're a really solid team you can see why they they won the whole thing last year like a uh, really clear way of playing really dangerous and it, it showed it and like austin i think austin did a good job of just like doing enough to to stay in the game and then damian loss as well comes up with with three or four pretty big saves throughout the course of the game several of those being in the first half so um, yeah, like, like, as you said, right after halftime, first goal comes from a penalty kick. Austin FC kind of, they, they keep fighting after that. And they, like, they don't, they don't give up in that moment. And I think that's been just this team over, over the whole season has, has kind of been able to do that. They haven't always been able to get the results, but they've been able to fight and kind of stay in games more times than not. And they did that. They, they kind of picked up pace a little bit. In the 70th minute, they equalize also on a penalty. Then in the that's when like I think the tide kind of shifts a little bit there. And CJ Fodre comes on in the second half. I know in the like the Colorado game, CJ comes on and isn't really able to affect the game that much. Uh in this one, he does, especially later on as the game goes on. He's he impacts it pretty greatly. And so in the 77th minute. Val Noel scores the second one. And this is uh, in transition. They kind of have Columbus on their heels. Noel finds Fodre out wide left, and he kind of continues to push that back line deeper and deeper. He hesitates a little bit, waiting for uh, Noel to kind of open up into some space at the top of the box. 
cuts it back to him. Noel takes one touch, turns and hits it top corner. And in, in that moment, like he's Noel is just one of those players, just like super technical, super classy with the ball. Like you would bet on him to finish that one nine times out of 10. And he did it. He just hits it. Perfect. And then he did. And was this, was he already like playing with a bloody face at this point? Yeah. A really physical game. And I think he had a bloody face. Um, Joe Hafferty's nose was bleeding and that all happens in like the first 15 or 20 minutes, I think. Uh, But yeah, again, just like showing the fight for them to just like be able to play this physical game and still kind of stay in it and hang on while Columbus was kind of battering them for a little bit. Uh, The third goal comes in the 80th minute. This is a a good little, I think it's Asensio who kind of splits a couple of players to find Noel uh, in the midfield. He turns and finds Fodre in space behind because of kind of that little combination that opens up some space uh, in behind there. And Fodre is running in space behind the back line. He slow plays it kind of waiting for support on the backside and then just hammers uh, like a low left-footed cross into that corridor of uncertainty, kind of like that space between the keeper and the, the back line of defenders. And one of their defenders slides in as uh, Sebastian Pino is also sliding in on that backside. And it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like if if he doesn't slide, uh, Pino's there to, to tap it in. But because he slid, he kind of just carries the ball into the goal with him. And so just really good play by by Austin, by putting them in that difficult situation and then kind of uh, just creating a difficult moment. And even though it was Columbus that ends up scoring the own goal, like very much created by Austin's play. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I didn't even notice on in the original uh, broadcast that that was, that was an own goal. And it was like super clear um, on the backside. So it was like a really aggressive, strong, what was that? Those goals came up within what, 10 minutes or something like, it yeah. Was, it was a it was a great burst there, and it was good to see Austin sort of not let this one go to to PKs and see what happened. Um, Let, let's go back to those penalty kicks. You, you okay. mentioned that you thought one of them was soft. I thought both. Of I thought them both were of them were soft. soft. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was about to say this. But I thought both of them were quite soft. I feel like on the broadcast, the talk was about the second one being the Austin one was soft and less about the first one, but I feel like they were both. I, you know, I could, I could have gone with neither of those PKs going against the, um, going against the team that got them. And I guess in the, in the interest of justice, I was good that like both teams got crappy penalty kick. Yeah. I was going to say the same yeah. thing. It, it feels like there's justice in it, right? Like the first one, uh, the attacking player steps on Toure's foot and then falls over and Toure looks perplexed as to how they call the foul on him whenever his foot got stepped on but no var in mls next pro so the call on the field has to stay uh and then on the one that was given to us valentino l finds himself in the box and he's in traffic has control of the ball but he kind of realizes he's running into a dead end and i think like he's like i've got guys on my heels i'm I'm just gonna gonna, go down as i'm running i'm gonna lift up one of my legs and never put it back down and then he's just like, somebody kind of touched him. I think there was a hand on the small of his back, but it, it was more so just like, I'm just going to stop running and just let momentum do the rest. And they they give the call. And then uh, Alonso Ramirez, who's been the primary penalty taker for this group all year, just ice cold penalty take. He does one of those, those slow run-ups, just eyes on the keeper the whole way. And he's like, I'm not doing anything until you make a decision. 
and just waits for the keeper to dive one way, slowly slots it into the other side. Just super cool penalty take there. Yeah, if I remember right, I think he was five for five going into that. So now he's now six for six. So he's got a really strong percentage on converting those kicks. Yeah, I love seeing him do that. Um, and so, yeah, Austin takes a 3-1 win. Uh, got to see Polio celebrate with a bunch of players with the trophy after the match. <laughs> a fair amount of fans like meeting him at the airport today when they flew back in. Uh, so it was really good to see them do that. I, I wrote yes. this. In the notes, Damian lost on top of his game and smoldering. So it's very good. Like, <laughs> my wife does not watch a lot of Austin FC2 games. And she's like, I mean, he's it's first like this guy's handsome. She's like, I don't know. And then like the second time she saw him, she's like, oh, wait, yes, he's very, yeah. very handsome. Yeah. I was watching the game. No doubt. Hop squad. And there's like a shot as he was, I don't know, waiting to take a goal kick or something. He's like a just like a wide shot of him, like from like a low angle or something. And I heard somebody back behind me say, Damien's beautiful. <laughs> You're like, yes, he is. Uh, but yeah, Val, Val Noel gets named player of the tournament. Uh, well deserved for, I think, just the play in this game. Super influential. And I know, I know Fodre was, was involved in those last couple of goals, but um, none of them happened without Noel's play. And he was very, very well deserving of, of this. And just like really, um, really impressed with. I haven't heard him speak that much and just hearing him speak after the game, just like the clear headedness and kind of maturity that he showed in that. Like I just, yeah, it seems to be, it seems like it's very clear. Like there's a reason why he was one of the leaders on this team and why people kind of look to him for that leadership. Yeah. The celebrations afterward were great. The little trophy lifts and everything, but yeah, so much fun. Kudos to Brett Utley to all the coaching staff, to all these players, like it just really well-deserved for, for a great season to see them get rewarded at the end. Yeah. We were just talking about this. I mean, nine months ago, there was like five guys and a belief, you know, and they've gone from that or I guess 10 months ago. Right. And they've gone from that to like this, this, this amazing performance in the first year um, of a club. So it's like great to see them achieve that. I think it's something, uh, I think I said this on, Twitter today is like one of the two greatest trophies in all of international sports. Uh, this one plus Copa Tejas. So that's right. Glad glad to see them win the the other most important trophy. Um, no matter what Harry tells you, <laughs> no matter what. But I guess the other thing is this will touch back to what Michael and um, Adrian talked about twenty twenty two. Like you should appreciate this because this team, this group of people, will never be together again in this moment at the same time. So like, just enjoy it because I'd imagine just given the nature of this league, like some of these guys are going to the first team. A lot of these guys are going to go to Vassell or somewhere else. And so we will never have, you know, sort of this 2023 Austin FC2 season um, again. So like, it's amazing. It turned out the way that it did and gave a lot of fans, like a lot of hope and joy and a season. The first team did not necessarily give us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they've been a, a bright spot in this year and just going out to the games at, at Parmer field and, getting to kind of have that that smaller stage lower profile sparks of joy throughout throughout the season was was very welcome so thanks Austin FC2 uh okay let's let's wrap up Jeremiah we would like to remind everyone to rate review and subscribe I think this is the going to be the last show maybe uh that we're doing the donations for reviews we'll do that to the end of the month so it is. And I would say, like, it's free money. Just give, leave us a review. I mean, it's free. It's not It's not money of your pocket. It's free money to a good cause if you just leave us a review to go to Community First. So I, we've we've gotten a few, but we could always take a few more. 
Absolutely. Uh, come find us on Twitter at LVHero87, at jbentley underscore ATX, and then at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And then uh, sign up for the Patreon. We greatly appreciate everyone's support and um, would enjoy yours as well if you're not, not already a member there. And then sign up for Phil West Substack at verydayallday.substack.com slash moontower. Um, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with some more Austin FC news. Hopefully I'm, I'm guessing like maybe even it's moon tower soccer recording night. So we're almost certainly going to get some major news on Tuesday. Definitely player <laughs> news. Definitely player. I, I would, I really expect to be like players going out news if nothing else. Yeah. And so we'll definitely be covering that next week and whatever else happens, but it's, it's off season time, which is, uh, people ask like, what are y'all going to do on the show? And like, are you serious? Like we're going to be busier than ever. Don't you worry. So there's going to be lots to talk about. So join us again next week until then I'm Lanny Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my god.